Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, thankful to be an evangelist. We are looking today at one of the exciting, exciting events in the New Testament. We find our attention drawn to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. Again, that's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. Ross, would you mind reading those? Sure. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter spoke of the well-known miracles that Jesus had performed, miracles that proved that he was the Son of God. He spoke of the Lord's crucifixion, a crucifixion that the Jews had instigated. I think it's important to note as well that the death of Jesus was not due to weakness on his part or strength on the part of the Jews. It was not an unexpected event. It was according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. 
However, Jesus did not remain in the power of death. Indeed, it was not possible for him to remain in its power. Never did mortal lips announce in so brief a space so many facts of import to, of so terrific to the hearers. We might challenge the world to find a parallel to it in the speeches of all of its orators or the songs of its poets. There is not such a thunderbolt in all the burdens of the prophets of Israel or among the voice which echoes through the apocalypse. It is the first public announcement to the world of a risen and glorified Redeemer. It was possible for the gathered multitude to understand what Peter was saying. David had written of those very things in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. The prophecy predicted that one would die. His soul would not be abandoned in Hades. His body would not undergo decay, and he would be raised from the dead. That psalm did not refer to David, so whom did it refer to? Peter declared that it referred to Christ and his resurrection from the dead. That prophecy had been fulfilled. Had some in the multitude heard rumors of the empty tomb? Had some heard the lie concocted by the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, saying his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept? Perhaps, but Peter said, this Jesus God raised up again. And the apostles were witnesses of that fact. Yeah, the um, amazing piece of, of how Peter speaks to them of, you know, you nailed, verse 20, 23, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And the the aspect of, um, and he, he gets back to this later on in verse 36, uh, in particular comes to mind of you were the one who did this. Uh, certainly the apostles were, were guilty of sin too, and, and, and Jesus um, coming to take away sin, dying on the cross, and for, for even us as well being guilty of that. But for for them also, the, the power in which it would be for them, the power in which it should be for us to read the, these verses and understand we were responsible as well for this occurring here. Certainly there's a physical sense that they were there. Um, physically, some perhaps were... Um, a, a lot closer to the event of Jesus being crucified than others, but all were responsible just as we are. And the um, reading it, and, and just with the scriptures in general, reading it as a personal um, piece to you, of reading it as what can I learn from this story, or that this is something that, that this is talking to me, um, and, and what I can learn from it, what I can apply from it, that we we're responsible for what has happened to Jesus, but despite that, he was raised from the dead, as was talked about, and and this is where he gets into Psalm 16. Um, this is Greg had talked up, talked about pointing to that, that David wasn't pointing to himself, but was pointing to to Jesus, was being a prophet, as it says in verse 30, and pointing to to Jesus again. This uh, amazing thing. Uh, and quite quite eye-opening thing, I'm sure, for the people here to see and hear David in particular be the one who wrote these two psalms that Peter refers to and that they were pointing to Jesus and how powerful that was for them. 
You know, Jesus, before he left the earth, it said in John 16, 8, that when he, the Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin. And this here, Peter, in his sermon, is definitely doing that. I wanted to note the pointed nature of his preaching. Every once in a while, I preach a sermon, and the elders get up and comment that that was a hard sermon. You know, this would have been a hard sermon because this was a pointed sermon. When he says in verse 23, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified, he was allowing the Holy Spirit to do just what he said he would do, to convict the world of sin. And that's that's good preaching, as they say. Um, and uh, not only convicting of sin, though, but offering a way of escape as well. <clears throat> I wanted you to see, to the connection that exists between the subject of Jesus as king and the resurrection. Uh, Peter connects those two concepts. In verse 30, it, it, he uses the prophecy, the promise made to David that from his body would come, from his seed would come uh, a king, who would, who would be raised up, in verse 30, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. That's a fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. He foreseeing this, that is, he foreseeing the Christ sitting on his throne, spoke concerning the resurrection. So we need to link those concepts in our minds, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is linked to the time when he would receive the throne, when he would begin to reign as king. And for how long would he reign? Verse 34 and 5 answer that. For he must reign until he makes his enemies his footstool. And then we learn from 1 Corinthians 15 that he then returns the kingdom back to the Father. So Jesus is reigning in the midst of his enemies and will continue to do so until he has uh, vanquished all of his enemies. Ross, I'd like to reemphasize the point you're making there, which I think is extremely important. Those who deny that Jesus is reigning over his kingdom now are just are just wrong those who look for the lord to return to establish an earthly kingdom in the physical city of jerusalem and to sit upon the literal throne of david for a thousand years are looking for the same type of earthly king that the jews were mistakenly awaiting and this passage demonstrates that conclusively with the testimony of the miraculous occurrences that they were witnessing that day, the testimony of prophecy, and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles to the truth of the resurrection, the hearers could know without question or possibility of error that God had made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. They were guilty of having instigated the crucifixion of the Messiah. You know, and there was no denying the proofs that had been offered to them. It's This message started with that, that this man was attested by God to you. This, this is 
this is Peter taking away their uh, their you know but 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 kind of response. You know, he he really nails down the relevancy of this message and really ties it up in a neat little package. And before he you know is done, takes away any sort of uh, recanting uh, that they could have done because these signs were attested to you. And he says, and you yourselves know these things. You know that these things happened in your midst. And so the only response is the response that we see. <clears throat> I think to, to verse 33, I mean, the, the same Jesus that was approved by God did these miracles and signs, um, was, was nailed to a cross and died, was raised from the dead. He, he's active here. And it just has been, been talked about and that he has poured out this or so t- in talking about verse 33 therefore since he has been exalted at the right hand of god has received the promise of the holy spirit from the father he has poured out this which you both see and hear the, the aspect of the the holy spirit being being given here and it, it's all god is ultimately what i'm trying to say that this was um pointing back to jesus pointing back to god and all of this being possible and being done by god Okay, let's move on and look at verses 37 through 41. Jacob, do you mind reading those, 37 through 41? Yeah. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what are we to do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified, and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine what impact? the realization that the one that they had crucified was the Christ had on these people. Perhaps some of them had actually even been among the mob that was crowding out, crucify him, crucify him. What we do know is that a portion of the multitude gathered in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost believed what Peter said. They were pricked to the heart, they were pierced to the heart, indicating grief, anguish and alarm and so they asked the vital question brethren what what shall we do the answer given clearly indicates that they were asking what to do to be forgiven of their sins they were asking what do we do to escape the wrath of god what peter said was the true and infallible answer for all such questioners of all subsequent time On this day of Pentecost, in the city of Jerusalem, Peter told the multitude what they must do to be saved. Since they were already believers, he told them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the answer. The answer that Peter gave is the same answer that must be given today to the question, what shall we do? Repentance is a change of heart 
brought about by godly sorrow with a determination to lead a changed life. Baptism is an immersion in water, the purpose of which is for the remission of sins. My friends, these instructions were not simply for those Jews who heard Peter's word on that day. They are for all people of all time from that point onward whether they are Jew or whether they are Gentile. Salvation comes to all in exactly the same way. On that very day, that day of Pentecost, about 3,000 individuals received the word of God with obedience and were baptized. Yeah, the word uh, remission, as the New King James has it, is the same as forgiveness. There's no distinction there. From the Greek word aphasis, which uh, Strong's defines as a freedom or a pardon, this is this is the way by which we are made free or pardoned from our sins. And our answer, uh, everyone's answer, should be the same as with uh, as that which Peter responds. As Greg pointed out, this is the most important question that we can ask: What shall we do? What must I do to be saved? And if my answer, or if my church's answer, is not the same as Peter's answer here, then then there's a problem. I shouldn't be associated with any sort of religious fellowship that is not preaching this same gospel. This is the good news of forgiveness, and I don't know how anyone could have fellowship with, with a ministry that is not preaching this response to the most important question of what must I do to be saved. I don't know how anyone could contribute, uh, give to resources uh, to perpetuate a message that is, uh, you know, all you got to do is believe or uh, just say this prayer with me. Okay, great. Now that you're saved. No, why, why, why don't we be just content with what Peter had to say? Yeah, these, specifically verse 37 and the, the reaction of the people just reminded me a little bit of David in Second Samuel 12 and how um, Nathan's going to tell him about the, the symbolic story of the two men in the city with the, the sheep and what happens there. And ultimately, David's reaction and then Nathan saying, you yourself are the man. And David's reaction of, there's still going to be a punishment, but he, in verse 16 of Second Samuel 12, pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went and went and lay all night on the ground his reaction to what he had done it was I have to do something I have to go into action and realizing that he was the one responsible for what for this and what's going what has happened um, I think you kind of see a parallel at least for me see a parallel in their realization of they were the ones that had done this and and I mean, absolutely, understandably so. They were pierced to the heart, it says in verse 37, and saying, what What are we to do? I mean, killed the Son of God. What What are we to do? And he's, you know, he rose from the dead, and, you know, I just, I mean, there's not a better and more understandable question to ask than what do we do now? And the loving nature of our God and that, it, it, I mean, justifiably so would have been nothing. You know, you had your chance. But no, I mean, it is repent. Each and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God is willing to forgive us is is just so awesome and something that clearly here the 3,000 souls did not take for granted there and, and took the opportunity that was presented to them. Let's go ahead and wrap up the second chapter looking at verses 42 on down through verse 47. Ross, do you mind sure. reading this? Please? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were con- together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Luke has given us an account of how the first members of the Lord's church became members of the Lord's church. Now he gives us kind of a brief look at the activities of those early Christians. Being new Christians, they had a lot to learn. They continued in devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine. What that was was the apostles going about the task of teaching them to observe all things that the Lord had commanded them. In other words, teaching them the things they needed to know in order to worship and serve the Lord acceptably. They continued in fellowship, which is the idea of a close relationship, a partnership of those sharing something in common. We even see in these verses that this togetherness included the sharing of their material goods with one another according to need. They devoted them to breaking of bread. I believe here that clearly has reference to the Lord's Supper and not to a common meal. It is included in a listing of particular things they were doing because of their new belief. Eating a common meal would not fit that description. Also, in the earliest manuscripts, there is an article in both places. Let me explain that. The Greek reads the breaking of the bread. This makes it even more probable that verse 42 has reference to a common meal. Prayer is pretty obvious. It can be done individually and certainly corporately as an act of public worship. It seems that the events taking place had an effect upon all people, not just the church members. It is very possible that the phrase, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, may very well include those outside of the church also. What they were doing was having an effect on the community as well. Also, the apostles continued to work signs and wonders. This is yet another indication of the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurring only with the apostles and not with the 120 people that we read about. We've already mentioned the common sharing of property they engaged in, and they continued in one mind on a daily basis with each other, eating regular meals together with gladness and simplicity of heart. Each day they praised the Lord, and no one at this point could complain about them. Each day the church grew as individuals were being saved, and the Lord added them 
to the number. Yeah, it's clear from verse 43 that these miracles were never intended um, for all to be done at this point in time. And the promise that you will uh, have the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit was not was not an extension of the powerful manifestations of the Spirit and his uh, miracles. So this was still through the apostles. I agree with your assessment of the breaking of bread here. The context of verse 42, I think, shows us the spiritual nature of all of these things. Uh, Breaking of bread should be interpreted in the same vein as continuing in the apostles' doctrine, Uh, in fellowship and prayer. These are all spiritual activities, trying to make fellowship as though it's nothing more than uh, Christians mingling and having coffee, uh, rests it from the context of of their spiritual focus. You do have a common meal mentioned in verse 46, I believe, where it says, they broke bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness. So um, there's the distinction between the two. And it shows that Christians were, uh, there was a togetherness, there was a time spent with one another. Uh, salvation wasn't a one-and-done sort of uh, event, but there was, a, there was a community, a community that was expected with believers so that we met regularly to perform spiritual worship, and to grow in the word, but also a togetherness throughout the week where we where we are bonding with one another. Yeah, I think um, to the, the end of verse 46 and talking about the, the day-by-day aspect of the, um, the, the meal, the fellowship aspect um, idea we see in, I believe we also see in verse 46 of their attitude. They were glad. That they were continuing on taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I think for you know for us, when we are having and looking to have fellowship with our with our brethren, is it a gladness to be there? Is it a sincerity to want to grow, to want to be amongst your brethren, or is it a I have to be here, or I can't wait for this to be over, or whatever it may be? But to actually be sincere, to understand. That these people are people that you're working to spend eternity with, with God. And, and looking at them like that, and for the, the encouragement you can be to them, the help that you can be to them, and that also they can be to you. That's going to have to do it for today's program. We appreciate so much each and every one of you who take the time to listen. I encourage you to go to our website, www.nkcofc. And let us know what you're thinking. Until the next time then, thanks for listening.